Well, it's great to see y'all. We are continuing this morning in our series, Generous. If you're new or if you missed a couple of weeks, it's okay. Uh, We're glad that you're here, but we are now on our third week, believe it or not, of this series, Generous. And we've been looking at what God says about our money. That intersection, everybody hold your hands up like this. It's a new like ICC gang sign. It's awesome. Um, Just kidding. Hold your hands up like this. What you're trying to figure out is one of your hands represents your faith, what God has called you to, the life that God wants you to live. I'm not seeing your hands. Okay, (laughs) I'm being serious about this. The other hand represents your finances. Everybody's got money. And what you've got, what we've been looking at is at that point of intersection, how, how do we live in faith and also live with money? And those are two, I don't want to scare you away because this is not just an incessant topic for us, but it is an important topic. It's an important topic for me as your pastor to teach you that God wants to teach you. God over and over in the scriptures speaks about money. Jesus over and over in his ministry speaks about money. And we've been looking at the reason why. Why is it? Why is it such a big deal? It's because your money is so related to your heart. What you do with your money is related to what is going on in your heart. It is. And when your heart is going toward God, your money will follow God. And if your money is not following God, it says that your heart is not going toward God. If your money is going to all other kinds of things, if you just open your checkbook, we've been together as a church committing through our workbooks, looking at our expenses week after week. And what the point of that exercise is, I hope y'all are all doing it. Like what I've realized is I like food. <laughs> like I spend too much money on food and it's like comfort food. Like I could eat a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, or I could eat at Babalu. I prefer Babalu. But you know what that cost me? About $15 at lunch, where a PB&J would cost what? One, maybe two. And it's not wrong to eat at Babalu, and it's not wrong to eat PB&Js, but the reality is, is as we chase our money, as we look at where our money is going, you will see where your heart is going. Because your money follows your heart, your heart follows your money. That's why Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Got it? So we've been talking about this because God is relentless in his pursuit of our hearts. God is not going to give up until your heart is surrendered to him and satisfied in him. He wants your heart. So every week, I'm just coming back, I'm just coming back at your pastor. Okay, God's after your heart. We're just going to keep looking at this in the scriptures as it relates to money because God is after your heart. God doesn't want your money. God wants your heart. But when your heart is with God, your money is going to follow and it's going to be used for the glory of God. And last week, what we saw is success in life, which who, who wants to be successful in life? The rest of you, you losers. What is going on? Um, <laughs> just messing with you. Uh, we want to be successful. We have this drive, and it's a God-given drive. We want to be successful. We want our life to count. But what we saw last week is so many of us are driven by what the world calls us successful. And that revolves around all kinds of things, and especially the abundance of possessions and wealth and all these material things. But the reality is God doesn't see success as the world sees success. He says a successful person is the one whose heart is completely satisfied in him, who's completely committed to honor God with their whole life, to live for the glory of God. That is a successful person. 
So in other words, you can have all the wealth in the world, but have a heart that's far from God. And God says, what a poor, pitiful, wretched man. The world says he's great, but God says he's nothing. But the one who has nothing in this world, who has a heart yielded to God and is living for the will of God, God looks at him and says, he has everything because he has me. You see? And so we've been talking about this because it's super important. And I believe all of us in this room, are in a, we all have money. We might have $20, we might have $20,000, we might have $200,000 or $2 million. And I'm not asking you to tell me how much you have. <laughs> but what I'm saying is we all have money. And the reality is all of us are on a pathway toward even greater money probably. And we've got to figure out what does God want for us? But it starts here in our heart. So, generous. That's why we're here. Well, today we're looking at an important topic. Have you got your workbooks? Everybody got them? Uh, we are in week three, and the message today is called, Are You Free? So if you've got your books, go and open them up to week three. If you don't have your books, I encourage you to go and get a piece of paper out. Uh, you can draw on the back of a person's neck in front of you, whatever you want to do. But I want you to try to engage this morning and write down as we uh, study uh, God's Word. But the reality is, today we're looking at, Are, are You Free? Um, God wants us uh, to be free. He wants us to have freedom in our finances. God wants a better outcome for you financially than you do. How about that? Now, it may be redefined with what that financial situation looks like, but he wants better for you with your finances than you do. And part of what he wants for you is to be free. All right, here's the reality. Uh, anybody familiar with the Madonna song, Living in a Material World? Anybody know that? Now, I'm not a material girl, <laughs> but we live in a material world, okay? Uh, yeah, it's blinking. I don't know why it's blinking, but it's just saying hey to me. It's fine. It's cool. <laughs> it's about to give me a seizure. We got a, a TV up here. It's just blinking at me. So if you see my face light up, uh, it might be the glory of God, <laughs> or it could be the TV. It could be both. So I pray it's, I pray it's both today. But um, living in a material world. The reality is this. We live in a society that screams at us, more, have a little more, and a little more, and a little more. Just keep acquiring and acquiring and acquiring and acquiring and acquiring. Y'all track it with me? Let me just point this out. Materialism, by the way, is defined as this. A theory that physical matter is the only fundamental reality and that all being and processes and phenomena can be explained as manifestations or results of matter. Let me read it again. Materialism. A theory that physical matter is the only fundamental reality and that all being and processes and phenomena can be explained as manifestations or results of that matter. Now, the reality is in this room, most people here would not say that they are materialistic or that they believe that that statement is the only truth about life. But I don't care what you would say you believe. What I want to know is how you live because how you live says what you believe. And the reality is in our culture today, we are a materialistic society. By and large, the prevailing philosophy is that matter matters. (laughs) What you see is what's important. And the more you can have of what is tangible, then the better off you are. 
that life is ultimately driven about the acquisition of more and more and more stuff. Now that could be money, it could be bonds, it could be investments, it could be uh, purses or shoes or houses or cars or whatever. But the reality is if you just have more and more and more, then you've made it. Uh, Randy Alcorn but let me just, I'm about to point out some reasons that this is true. Now, I think most of you guys are going to realize this, but I want to point them out. Anybody ever notice that the uh, Black Friday after Thanksgiving is, has, has begun creeping up and ruining the holidays? Anybody ever notice that? Anybody sick of that? Okay, Brandy, I'm going to give you this book. This is our book giveaway today. Brandy is sick of this, which means nobody's getting Christmas present from Brandy. Um, this is Randy Alcorn, Money, Possessions, and Eternity. I'm going to be... Uh, he has helped me greatly. That book is out in the lobby. It is one of the best books, most comprehensive, biblical-focused books on finances that you can find. And uh, I'm going to be talking about a lot of what he says, but there you go. That and alone, the fact that I can't even enjoy my stinking Thanksgiving turkey without a store opening up and telling me I need to leave my family and leave my good food and the great football and parade and stuff and go shop sooner than I shopped last year as if it's going to make my life better. Anybody with me? Now, some of you crazies went out on Thanksgiving Day, and, you know, you might have gotten some good stuff, but whatever. But the reality is, now now all the screens are going to go out. <laughs> Just bear with me, okay? Listen to what I say, not what you see. Um, the reality is that is happening more and more, is that we are creeping into materialistic society. Shopping has become our most popular activity in America. It's average statistically says six hours a week Americans spend shopping. Well, uh, nowadays, again, focus on me. <laughs> nowadays, um, not only you don't have to go to the store, how many hours you spend online shopping, right? Just endlessly looking at ads and whatever. It's, it's estimated by the age of 20, the average American has seen one million commercials. One million. And, of course, a lot of us are going to the bathroom during them um, or doing something else. But you're exposed to one million commercials. A PBS documentary called Affluenza, talking about materialism, says that more Americans declared bankruptcy recently than graduated college. More Americans declaring bankruptcy than finishing college. 90% of divorce cases involve money as a major matter of the divorce, the divorce discussions. Marketplace now calls us consumers. They don't really care about you as a person, although they'll make you feel like that. But you are an economic unit. (laughs) And the reality is the more that they can get you to spend, uh, the better their bottom lines and the fatter their pockets. Some of our favorite shows on TV nowadays revolve around making more and more and more money. I mentioned MTV Cribs last week. That's a good one. But also um, Shark Tank. Anybody with me? Now, I happen to love Shark Tank. I'm an entrepreneur at heart. But the reality is, what's that show about? I mean, Kevin, what's his deal? Show me the bottom line. I want to make you rich. It's all about the money. And he will, he drives me crazy on there because he will cut people down, make them feel terrible. He doesn't care about the personal side of it. It's just about the bottom line, right? And Robbie, can you go back there and help? I don't know what's going on. 
Um, but the reality is, he doesn't care about the, the personal self. All he cares about is what? The bottom line, the profit. Um, Fortune magazine did a really interesting study between the years of 1955 and then again in 1980. And what they did was they took uh, a group of 25-year-old men who were starting their careers and asked them what it was that they were seeking in life. 1955, you want to know what the values were? Family. Community service. Helping others. Living honestly with integrity. 1980, you want to know what the values were? Enjoyment. Material comfort. Personal happiness and success. As a culture... The pendulum has swung to be... People are deciding now not to have kids because they don't want the expense of forfeiting what they want and their personal happiness from what may be best for the family. And compared with 1957, today we own twice as many cars per person in 50 years. We eat out twice as often. Our homes are filled with three to four times more stuff Statistically, the right, you want to know the rise of materialism? Track the rise of storage units in America. It has risen exponentially in 50 years. Storage units, big business now, because we run out of places to keep all the stuff in our lives. Mounting credit card debt. Federal Reserve consumer debt data. 1975, credit card debt in America, $199 billion. 1985, 10 years, 524 billion. 1995, mounting credit card debt, now up to 1 trillion. 2005, doubled again, 2 trillion, 196 billion. I did all this online research. 2014, all of this was compared in January, credit card debt. Stood at three trillion, two hundred and eleven billion. What that says is people are increasingly buying in to the fact that materialistic stuff is the ruling philosophy of the day. It's so important, such that we grow our debt, we spend what we don't have in order to have and have and have more. Matt Walsh with the Huffington Post says our entire economic system is built on this principle: buy things. Everybody buy. It doesn't matter what you buy, just buy. Just, it, uh, it doesn't matter if you have money, just buy. Our entire civilization now rests on the assumption that no matter what else happens, we will all continue to buy lots and lots of things. Buy, 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 and then buy a little more. Don't create or produce or discover, just buy. Never save, never invest, never cut back, just buy. Buy what you don't need with money you don't have. Buy like you breathe, only do it more frequently. <laughs> Randy, uh, Richard Foster says, The lust for affluence of contemporary society has become psychotic and has completely lost touch with reality. Now, anybody feel that way? <laughs> I mean, you look around, anybody with me? You see it. Sometimes I'm scared like a frog in boiling water. Anybody ever put a frog in boiling water? Or is that just what we did in Georgia? I'm not really sure. I'm looking at blank stares. Now I'm embarrassed. Um, if you put a frog in boiling water, the frog will not jump out, but rather it will just slowly die. 
And the reason is because it doesn't understand the heat that's coming around. It just begins to acclimate to the increasing heat. And before long, the water is boiling, and the frog doesn't realize that that water is boiling and bad for him, and so he just lays there and dies. And the reality is, with the growing materialism in our society, and what happens, I see it again and again in my life and in in my friends' lives. It just happens slowly, 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 slowly. Increasing stuff, increasing wealth, increasing investments, more materialism. And slowly, what I'm afraid is we're so blind to it because we, it's like the boiling water. It just creeps up on us, but before we realize it, we is choking the life out of us, and we don't even see it. You want to know when you see it is when you have somebody from another country come into your house, or maybe you go to a place like the slums of Guatemala or Africa like we do every year. When I have folks come into my house from another country where they have almost nothing, Mark Nazati said last year when he went to Guatemala, he said, we took more in our suitcase than the people owned. Right? Isn't that what you said? And it just hits you in your face. Oh my gosh. I'm so materialistic. Or you have them in your house and suddenly you feel embarrassed or guilty because you realize they're looking at everything that you have and they have nothing of what you have back home. And you go, oh my goodness, I'm so materialistic. And here's the deal. All of it is promised to make us happy, but in the end, it leaves us empty. <laughs> it does not make you happy. Materialism says this. If you only had this thing, if you only had a little bit more of that thing, then you would finally be happy. But you know what that is? A lie! <laughs> Do you know that? It's a flat-out lie! that other people want you to believe, that the enemy wants you to believe, that the world wants you to believe, and it is leading us to our death if we're not careful. It just is. John Rockefeller, one of the richest guys in the world, says, the poorest man I know is the man who has nothing but money. (laughs) The American uh, Psychological Association says that since the 1950s, you know, I told you since the 1950s we've seen this rise. It says, you would, okay, you would think that with increasing accumulation, there would be increasing happiness, right? Since the 1950s, Americans' well-being has, if anything, gone down. Compared with our grandparents, today's young adults have grown up with so much more affluence, but so much less happiness and much greater risk of depression and assorted social pathology. This is all American Psychological Association. Our becoming much better off over the last four decades has not been accompanied by one iota of increased subjective well-being. Pretty funny, huh? So, in other words, we think, we, we buy in that if we just have more, just have this, just have that, just little bit more just to well, that house over there or that next version of car or that next computer or that one hundred thousand dollar savings account that we're aiming for if we just had one more thing the commercials try to sell you all day long if you just had this but the reality is none of it not one iota is increasing our well-being it's a lie <laughs> and it's almost like god has a megaphone and he's like i told you so Luke chapter 12. Here's where we're going to be today. Go ahead and open your scriptures. You, you think, you know, it doesn't take, it should not take the American Psychological Association for you to get this truth straightened out. Okay? So as your pastor today, here, here I am again saying, let's go to the Word. 
go to the word. If you just live in God's word, and if you live by what God says, you believe it and you live it, you will be free of all of the lies of our culture. God is saying, like a loud voice to us in the middle of all of this, okay, uh, uh, I have been trying to help you see this. Here it is, Luke chapter 12, verse 15. And Jesus said to them, take care and be on guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Here God comes to us. Here's what he says. He's talking to folks. If he was here today, he could say it just like this. Take care. Friends, my loved ones, those who I have bought with a price by my own blood and called to myself, take care in the world that you live in here in America. Take care. Be on guard against all covetousness. For once life, your life, does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. What he's saying is, I'm trying to speak into your life to help you find freedom, to help you be free of the lies of this culture and satisfied in what really matters. I'm for you. Listen, your life is not about acquiring more stuff taking the next move to the next house or the next car or the bigger bank account or whatever. That is not what your life is about. One's life does not exist in the abundance of his possessions. In other words, materialism does not bring happiness to your life. I think I've got up here on the screen a little caution sign. And here it is. I want you to write this down. Jesus is trying to caution you, okay? There's a caution and then there's an encouragement. And we're going to look at the caution and we're going to look at the encouragement today. The caution is this. Material things are not the origin or the point of life. You can make it personal. My material things are not the origin or the point of my life. That's what he's trying to say. We're going to look at this in depth this morning. There's three parts to his caution. And here's the reason this is so important. You've got to evaluate how you're going to live your life. And, and most of us, I guarantee you this morning, most of us would say, well, I'm not materialistic. I don't have any ambition to be materialistic. I'm fine, Barrett. I'm fine. I, I, I'm, not going to, I'm not going to be that way. But the reality is what, what we know through research is that if you don't choose to live intentionally, counterculturally, you will live as everybody else in culture lives. But God's people who are serious about believing and following him always are intentional about moving the, toward him against the flow of culture. People with good intentions when they're young often end up in a place they never dreamed when they're old. Because they never were disciplined to set themselves toward the Lord and what he really called them to. So I'm asking you to really evaluate this. Are you really materialistic? Again, it's not what you say, it's how you live. 
and you can evaluate me too, but here's what he says. Material things are not the origin or point of life. Here's the first thing that you need to realize, the first caution. Number one, this is so important because it's about your heart and it's an offense to God. If you live materialistically, whether it's money, investments, houses, stuff, shopping, whatever, if you live materialistically, it is offensive to God. That's the first caution here. Now you, you say, why is that offensive to God? Well, here it is. Because the rotten root of materialism is one word with five letters. Got it? Hold up your hand. Five fingers. It spells like this. G-R-E-E-D. Greed. Okay? The rotten root of materialism is greed. What is greed? Greed is putting things before God. Greed is putting stuff before God. It's you saying, I don't have enough with God, so I'm going to keep desiring and acquiring and moving toward other things other than God because he is not all that I need. That's what greed is. That's why in Jeremiah chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, the prophet Jeremiah says, Be appalled, O heavens. Look at this. Be shocked and utterly dismayed declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, number one, the fountain of living water. And number two, they have hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. He's saying the problem is in our hearts. Number one, that we have not found our all in all in God. We've forsaken him. In other words, you you have not lived satisfied in him. And not only that, but you have turned to other things and said, I want that to satisfy me rather than the Lord. Even though those things can never satisfy you. God says it's offensive to him when we live that way. And this can happen in many ways. Listen, we have idols in all kinds of life. But materialism is a big one. Money is a big one. In other words, you use money to find what God is not giving you. And that is greed, and it is idolatry, and it is offensive to God. Well, you think, well, I'm not greedy. Huh. I'm not greedy. That's a hard word, Barrett. I'm not greedy. You know, just, you know I, I like stuff, but I'm not greedy. Well, how do you know greed? You can spot it in two ways. One is possessiveness. What you do with what you have. Being selfish with it. Not wanting to share it. Somebody asks you for something and you say, oh, I'm sorry, I don't have enough to give you. But yet you hoard all the stuff in your house. Do you really not have enough to give them or you just don't want to give it to them? Jesus says, be careful. When somebody asks, give it to them. They ask for your shirt, give them your other garment too. The other way you can spot greed is in covetousness. Covetousness is not in what you have, but it's in what you want. Being occupied with things that you don't yet have. Being passionate about things that's not yet yours envying things, looking online and go, oh, I just, if I just had that purse, oh, if I could just have that that she has, or if I could just have that next size house, living with either uh, that kind of possessiveness or that kind of covetousness, both of them are self-centered and selfish. Both of them are not God-centered, and both of them reveal a rotten heart of greed. And the reality is that's offensive to God. A.W. Tozer, anybody ever read A.W. Tozer? few of you, I encourage y'all to go uh, here I am saying don't buy stuff and then I'm like go buy this uh, 
<laughs> go buy this. Um, I'll lend it to you, okay? <laughs> um, there's, I've got several Tozer books in my office. He's a wonderful author and help, great help. He, he speaks as a prophet uh, in, a, in the wilderness where there's a great need for spiritual clarity. Tozer provides that a lot in my life. But he says this. He says, things have become a necessity to us. A development never originally attended. God's gifts now take the place of God. And the whole course of nature is upset by this monstrous substitution. In other words, he says in the the Garden of Eden, God gave, oh, so many gifts. And God gives you so many gifts. He gives you so many things to enjoy. But there's a throne in your heart. And that throne only belongs to God. And the problem is that God gave himself and gave us gifts to enjoy, but suddenly we stopped enjoying those things and rather we started looking to be satisfied in those things. Rather than tools, they become necessities. And those things took place. They started trying to usurp the throne and they got on that throne in our hearts. And because they sit on that throne, the whole course of our lives are radically different and all of nature has been monumentously uh, upset. Because we try to put things where only God belongs. And that's offensive to God. That's the first caution. The second caution is this. Not only is it offensive to God, but it's dangerous to you. Luke chapter 12, verse 15, that verse we just read, and I want you to memorize it this week. Be on guard, he says. Be cautioned about this. Against covetousness and greed. He's saying, I want you to see your hearts. For life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. There is a danger to you when you live materialistically. Now, some of you think, well, I can handle it, Barrett. I can handle it. You know, I can acquire more things and keep growing my wealth and keep, you know, buying and buying and you know I, I can live that way with, and I can keep my heart pure for the Lord oh really really you think you know better than God because here's what God says First Timothy chapter 6 if you will turn there in your New Testament this is the last place I want to camp out today uh, if you'll go ahead and turn there I want you to see it in your Bible so that later you can go back to it and spend more time with it in First Timothy chapter 6 Paul is writing letter to Timothy for the church. And here's what he says. First Timothy chapter 6, starting in verse 6. He says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world And we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. Verse 9, circle it. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Keep reading. 
Verse 11. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Skip down a few verses. Verse 17. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and to be ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. I'm telling you, if there's a passage I encourage you to camp out in regularly, as you work through these things and as you engage in small group through the series and in your life, please make a note of this passage. It's wonderful. But today I want to point out some things I'm telling you they are critical for you to understand. Critical, critical. Oh, I'm so glad you're here today. There's a couple of things that are dangerous to us about money. You think, oh, I'm fine. Oh, be careful because there's a couple of things dangerous. I want to point them out to you. The first two are going to be in pairs of twos, right? Here we go. So get, get your writing stick ready. Here we go. First two are this materialism, living for the stuff of this world, prevents or destroys our spiritual life. That's the first danger. It prevents or destroys, has the potential to, your spiritual life. And secondly, it blinds us over the curses of our material wealth. These are the first two dangers that are outlined. Same again as you're writing. First, prevents or destroys our spiritual life. Secondly, blinds us over the curses of material wealth. These come from Timothy verses 9 and 10. Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It's through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Straight from the scripture, those two points. Here's something I need to teach you, okay? <laughs> You've got to stick to this in your life. You've got to understand that. The possession of riches is always a spiritual liability. The possession of riches is always a spiritual liability. Prosperity is harder in your faith than poverty. Prosperity is harder for you to stay with the Lord than poverty. Why do I say that? Matthew chapter 19, verses 23 and 24. Jesus says, it is hard for a rich man to get into heaven. In fact, it's easier for you to go to the Memphis Zoo, take out their camel, which, you know, you could pay to ride that thing. Anybody ever done that? (laughs) 
that's the dumbest. I mean, I, I don't want to pay to smell bad on my bottom, you know what I'm saying? Um, you get off that camel, you're going to stink all day back there. People are going to think you're passing something and you, you just rode a camel, you know? Anyway, um, he's, Jesus says, it's easier if you go to get that camel from the Memphis Zoo and try to thread it through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to get into heaven. Whew. His disciples respond, whoa, 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 Jesus. Now, wait a second. <laughs> he didn't back down. What he said, he didn't say they can't do it. He just said it's extremely difficult. He said, but the things that are impossible with man are possible with God. It's harder to be prosperous and keep the faith than it is to be poor. How many, how many, how many people in the world do we look at today and you see that when they acquire more stuff, when they make it, quote unquote, make it with the world, suddenly they become very uninterested in the things of God. I have friends that have just walked away from the faith, just like it says in Timothy. They've walked away. They stop coming to church regularly. They stop uh, being involved, serving, humbly uh, submitting to God. They stop caring about the things of God. Possession of riches is always a spiritual liability. Proverbs eleven twenty eight says, He who trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish as the green leaf. Proverbs 23, 4, and 5 says, Do not wear yourself out to get rich. Do not trust your own cleverness. You know, this is why celeb- so many people who, celebrities who have access to everything, even King Solomon and Ecclesiastes who had access to everything, they get to the top and they just end up ruined because the acquisition of stuff has not helped them. In fact, it's destroyed them. It's not true for everybody, but it's true for most. Why is that? Well, here's, there's two reasons. One is that when you get money, when you get wealthy, when you have stuff, you're prone to be independent and self-sufficient. Your, pro, your riches cover up your desperation for God. Instead of living humbly, submitted to God, desperate for Him to answer your prayers, to meet your needs, you think, oh, I'm good. I've got what I need. If I have a problem, I'll just throw some money at it. People begin to look at you as different. And you, you, just are, you become blind to your spiritual poverty and need keeps you from simple and sincere faith. The second reason is this, is that it promotes pride and elitism. Suddenly you think that you don't live thankfully, you don't live gratefully, you don't live humbly when you have all of this. You start thinking you deserve it or you've worked hard for it or you're better than other people. That's why going to private clubs and private restaurants and getting into private airport lounges and living in private neighborhoods and doing all these stuff that money can afford you. People love that stuff and companies sell it to you like crazy. Oh, limited edition. It's worth $200 more because there's only 5,000 of these. Why couldn't you make 10,000 of them? Did you just print it in the printer? What's the problem? Because it's limited. It's exclusive. Oh, you know? And we get, we get all allured by this stuff. Ooh, so it must be good. You know, it's exclusive. You know, that pride and elitism comes and it will kill you on the inside. It just will kill you. 
that it will make you act with injustice and arrogance and without humility that God calls you to. We're called to keep the faith. And the reality is, with our spiritual life, wealth often destroys it. That's why in Mark chapter 4, verse 19, Jesus says, Be careful because of the deceitfulness of wealth. For the desires of other things come in and choke out the word. Everybody strangle your neighbor real quick. I was just kidding. Claire, that's your husband. Gosh. I didn't mean to make an excuse for what you're really trying to do. Um, just kidding. Picture yourself being strangled. You know, you know whatever. And the life is being choked out of you. What Jesus says is be on guard against possessions because they come in and they begin to strangle. Imagine your breathing as your spiritual life. Your possessions begin to choke out your spiritual life, keep you from breathing well spiritually. Psalm 62 verse 10 says, if your riches increase, do not set your heart on them. Here's the reason. The best things in life are free. The best things about our faith are free. And they're available to the rich as well as available to the poor. Money can't buy the wonders of the glories of the grace of the riches of God that he's poured out freely for us in Jesus Christ. That's why Isaiah 55 says, Come, come you who don't have money, you who cannot afford milk, come and drink not only milk but wine. Come and feast on what God has provided. That's why in Revelation chapter twenty-two, seventeen, he says, whoever is thirsty, let him come. Whoever wishes, let him come take the free gift of the water of life. The reality is, is that the beauty of our faith is that God has given to us freely when we had nothing. We are poor. We are beggars. We are desperate in the eyes of God. And he has poured out his grace and love for us and all who would believe by giving his one and only son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Amen. It's the greatest part of life. But if you're not careful, your riches come in and they begin to choke out your ability to see and to savor and to simply enjoy beauty, what God has given for all who would believe, both rich and poor. Third danger and fourth danger is this. Wealth brings unhappiness and anxiety and it also ends up enslaving us. Brings unhappiness and anxiety and ends up enslaving us. This is straight from Timothy, verse 17. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us everything to enjoy. And then back in verse 10, they have suffered many pangs. How stupid is it that we give ourselves to this pursuit? Now, some of you, I just know in this room today, some of you are going to try this out. You're not going to listen to what God is saying to you today. You're going to close your ears to it. You're going to keep on living. And the question is, at what point are you going to fall? What, point, what is it going to take for God to get your attention? I'll tell you, I learned the hard way. It's better for you now to begin moving on the things that God says than later. Let me just tell you, though, some people who went down the road that you might be thinking that you want to go try, 
And let me tell you what they say. W.H. Vanderbilt, anybody heard of him? The care of $200 million is enough to kill anyone. There is no happiness in it. John Jacob Astor. I am the most miserable man on earth. Henry Ford. I was much happier when I was doing a mechanic's job. Andrew Carnegie. Millionaires seldom smile. John D. Rockefeller. I have made many millions, but they have brought me no happiness. Here are folks at the end of the game, and they're looking back and saying, ain't no point in it. (laughs) Doesn't make you happy. It only brings anxiety. I wish I could go back to the simple way of life. You'd think they could listen to Scripture. Proverbs 15, 27. He who is greedy for gain troubles his own house. He who is greedy for gain brings trouble to his own house. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 12. The sleep of the laborer is sweet, whether he eats a little or much, but the abundance of a rich man permits him no sleep. It's the exact opposite of what you think, right? Abundance, make you more peaceful, more stuff, more anxiety. That's why Matthew 6, Jesus says, don't be anxious, but rather have a simple, sweet faith in God. Your stuff is going to end up creating anxiety. This world is uncertain. Your stock market is uncertain. Your bank accounts are uncertain. If you bank your hopes and all the stuff in this world, it's just uncertain. It's going to cause you more anxiety. And in fact, it's going to end up enslaving you. What promises freedom ends up enslaving you. Proverbs 1.19. So the ways of everyone who are greedy for gain, it takes the life away. Greed takes the life away from its owners. Ecclesiastes 5. 10 again, whoever loves money never has enough. Anybody ever study physics? Anybody? Come on, let me see your hands. What's the law of physics? The greater the mass, the greater the hold that the mass exerts, right? The greater the mass, the greater the hold that the mass exerts. Now, Randy Alcorn points this out. For instance, larger planets in the solar system, for those of you who are visible people and like analogies, big planets can hold many more satellites because the greater the mass, the more the hold that that mass exerts. Smaller planets hold significantly less satellites, right? It's a law of physics. Now, here it is. The more things that you own, the more that you will find yourself gripped by them. It's like a huge vacuum cleaner. Oh, they just suck you in. And the more you give yourself to them, the more sucked in you're going to be. They'll consume your time, your resources, your energy. Like Solomon, you'll end up saying, this is just stupid. For instance, what I'm trying to say is what promises you life ends up taking life from you. You know, you want the next level TV? Here's what happens. You go buy the next level TV. Oh, well, the old shelf that I put it on, it doesn't fit anymore. Now they've got new sound systems. So I need not only to get the TV, but I need to go get this DVD player that fits the new TV because my old one was a red and white. Now they have the blue, Blu-ray. And now the Blu-ray has a special sound, so I need to get those special speakers. And the TV now has this new swivel stand, and I need to put, put it up so it can be really good and seen clearly in the room, right? Or go... 
you know, we want to move to a bigger house. We just want more space. What ends up happening? More space, more stuff. Y'all ever read the book, The Give a Mouse a Cookie? Right? More stuff is more problems. More house is more repairs. More repairs is more money. More house is more cleaning. More time. It's just, oh. You go, you have good carpet. Let's say you have decent carpet right now. Like upstairs in my house, we have decent carpet. We don't love it. It's got some stains on it. It's decent. I really, I keep being tempted to get new carpet. Something, the carpet's fine. It just has a few stains. But I want to get new carpet. Here's what's going to happen. If I get new carpet, suddenly I'm going to be so anxious that Caroline doesn't do anything on the new carpet or the dog doesn't pee or poop on the carpet, right? That new carpet, while it seems to be promising right now, it will end up causing me more anxiety down the road. I guarantee you. You could say this with all kinds of things. What ends up promising joy takes your life. What ends up promising freedom ends up enslaving you. It just happens. And let me speak really quickly about this. It'll also lead you into financial debt. And financial debt is not God's best for you. And we're going to get into the specifics of that in a few weeks, especially those of you who have loans and mortgages. You want to go, well, what am I supposed to do? Oh, no. But the reality is, it's not God's best for you. Our society says, spend now, pay later. Sounds great. But did you know in the Old Testament, it was viewed as a problem if you had to borrow money? God says in Deuteronomy that his people will lend to many nations, but they will borrow from none. God says that it's a problem when you have to spend more than you can afford Now, how opposite is it in our society today? Because what our society says is if you're offered more credit, bigger spending limits, big mortgage, wow, you must have made it. You got the black Amex card, the one made of steel? Whoa! Baller! What the Bible says is no. Sucker. You're doing all that for airline points? Sucker. Don't live in debt. The Bible just says, be free of financial debt. Financial debt is not God's best for you. And you're going to be looking at this a lot in small groups this week and working on debt repayment plans. But listen, I'm just trying to tell you, when you are in financial debt, you become enslaved and controlled by that debt. When somebody comes, when there's an opportunity for you to move, suddenly I can't move because I've got this huge house that I can't sell where there's an opportunity for you to give sacrificially, I can't do that because I've got credit card bills that have to be paid. Debt ends up, it promises life, but it takes life from you and ends up making you indebted, a slave to it. The financial institutions might look you in the eye and say that they care about you, but at the end of the day, you're making them money. And that's their bottom line. God doesn't want you enslaved. Our last point is this. What are the dangers? And the last danger is this. It distracts us from our central purpose. It distracts us. Materialism distracts us from our central purpose. This comes straight from Timothy, verses 11 and 18. There's encouragement here. There's an antithesis. You could either pursue materialism or you could pursue these things. Verse 11, but as for you, a man of God, flee from materialism, flee from the love of money, flee from these things. 
Instead, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. Verse 18, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, generous and ready to share. In other words, there's two kinds of lives that you can live, one that's consumed by money or one that's consumed by God. And money is a danger because it will distract you from being consumed by God and the things of God. That's why in Matthew 13, when Jesus tells the parable about the seeds, remember that one of the seeds that gets planted gets choked by thorns. Do y'all remember this? Gets choked, and he goes to describe it, and he says, the one who received the seed that fell among thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it and make it unfruitful. In other words, the worries of all the stuff that you have will lead you to be unfruitful. It takes our time, it takes our focus, it takes our energy away from things that truly matter. In another parable in Luke chapter 14, verses 16 to 24, Jesus tells a story about a guy who wants to throw a big banquet. Imagine me inviting you over to my house this afternoon. Big party, guys. It's going to be awesome. A lot of free stuff. He sends an invitation out to three people. And all three of them say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but I can't come. Uh, one of them says, uh, if I remember right, one of them says he's got to look after his field. The other one says he's just gotten married. And the other one said he just purchased five oxen and he was anxious to go and try them out. Well, it infuriates the master. So the master of the banquet, the one who invited, said, well, gosh, they don't want it. So he goes, goes out to the street and invites all the homeless, all the poor, all the cripples. He says, come on in. And suddenly they enjoyed everything that these three guys missed out on. Now, the funny thing about the parable is he uses this as an illustration of the kingdom of God talking about you. You're one of these guys in the story. The funny thing is all of these guys, they weren't doing immoral things. I mean, getting married, going to tend to their oxen, going to take care of his field. They're not immoral things. They're just things that are higher priorities than the kingdom of God. And those things prevented them. They caused them to miss out on the true purpose of life and the true joy of what the master had for them at the banquet. Here's what I see happen all the time. Is TV, watching The Bachelor, watching endless TV shows, which I enjoy all of them. They're not bad. Not all of them. Some of them are. You shouldn't watch them. It takes away time from your family takes away time from the word of God. It takes away time from prayer. John Piper said, one thing that Twitter will do for us when we get to heaven is show that our prayerlessness was not because of lack of time. Ooh, hurts me. Uh, Vacation houses, boats, deer land, whatever you're into. I obviously have never really held a gun. Um, Not my thing. All of those things are not bad, but what ends up happening is they're going to take you away from church on Sunday. They'll take you away from fellowship with God's people. They'll give you an excuse to not be involved. Endless shopping, spending every dollar that you have on things, more things that you want, takes away the opportunity for you to be generous, to give to somebody who doesn't have hardly anything to wear, hardly anything to drive, hardly anything for their kids. It's not bad to shop, but Is it the best? Could you be missing a greater thing? Being a workaholic, giving all your pursuits to growing your capital and wealth and making your business, your orthodontic practice or your your medicine practice the best in town, 
Is that bad? Oh, I'm doing it for God. But does it take you away from being totally in, totally sold out, totally bought into the kingdom of God, making your dream a kingdom dream, not a self-centered dream? Investments. It's not bad to play the stock market. It's not bad to want to have increased wealth. But are you also thinking about the investments and how to maximize your investment in the kingdom of God? Or could it be distracting you? You see what I'm saying here? Wealth ends up distracting us from our central purpose, which is God and making much of God. So, I've got to land this plane. (laughs) Here we go. I've been circling the airport. Now it's time to land this joker, okay? Here we go. All of this is for this reason. God C.S. Lewis says, God doesn't want something from you. He wants something for you. Andy Stanley repeated it. I heard it last week in couples group. God doesn't want something from you. All this talk about money, being careful. He doesn't want something from you. He wants something for you. God wants something for you. What does he want for you? He wants you to be free. He wants you to be free. To have the best life. Where is true life and true freedom found? Here it is, folks. Write it down. Here it is. It's found in contentment in God and simplicity in living. Can you say that back to me? Let's all say these two things. If you can get a hold of this, I'm telling you, you'll be blessed. Where is true life and freedom found? Contentment in God simplicity in living contentment in God simplicity in living Jesus says be careful be on guard against all covetousness for life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions life consists in knowing God that's why in Philippians 4 Paul says I've learned in whatever circumstance that I'm in I know how to get along being humble how to live in prosperity how to be In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of being filled, being hungry, of having abundance and in suffering lead. I've learned the secret. You want to know what it is? I can do all things through him that strengthens me. It ain't a Super Bowl verse for the football team. It's a verse for you to help you in your everyday life guard against covetousness, to realize that if you have God, you have all that you need. That's why in Timothy 6, everybody listen. This is the main point of today. Godliness with contentment is great gain. You want to gain something? Gain this. Godliness with contentment. Simplicity of life. You want to know why Jesus says to give generously? There's two things here. If you can go and put up both arrows, it's fine. I'll help you work this out. You need to rest in faith. That's the first part. How do you be content in God? You need to rest in faith. What God gives you, take it and be thankful. Don't be greedy for more. Just rest in faith. Trust him. Be thankful for him. Know that in him all is all that you need. How do you live simply in your life? Radical generosity. I want you to think about this. 
What's one of the reasons that Jesus tells you to give? Give more than you think that you can give. Give sacrificially. Give till it hurts. Give away. Luke chapter 12, he says, give away your possessions. Give to the needy. Give your money bags out. Get rid of your houses and your stuff and your cars and your land. Give it away. And you look at that and you go, that's so radical. That's so stupid. Why would anybody do that? I don't understand. Is that really what he's calling me to? You know why? One of the reasons he's calling you to that is so that you can see that life is not found in all that stuff, but it's found in him. Amen? One of the reasons that he wants you to give your excess away is so that your heart doesn't get caught up in your excess. He says, be content with food and with clothes. Give the rest away. In other words, some of us might need to think, you know what, I might make $100,000, I might make $150,000, I might make $60,000, but the reality is, what do I really need to live? Some of us might need to say, you know what, I only need 40, I only need 60, I only need 70. And I'll give the rest away. I will take the word of God literally. You want to know why? Because I'm going to be on guard against covetousness. Life is not found in that. Jesus is saying, give it so that you can focus on what your life is truly about. He's helping you. He's for you. He doesn't want something from you. Amen? And it also frees you to do more for the kingdom of God than you ever realized. I want every eye to close, every head to bow. And as we close our time of worship today, I want you to pray. I want you to say to God, I want you to just be honest with God about where you are in your heart. I wonder, that, I wonder today if you could say, God, my heart has been chasing all kinds of things in this world, and I'm so prone to being tempted by the endless acquisition of more and more. God, you're all that I need. I wonder today if some of you might make a commitment to live simply. Some of you might want to say, you know what? My pursuit in this world is over. I've already have all that I need. If God gives me anything more from this point forward, it's all for him. I'm not going to get caught up in it. Some of you may need to say today, we have too much. And we've gotten caught up. I can can tell you right now, all those dangers are true because I see them at work in my life and we need to take some steps today. I need to take some steps today to move toward where God really wants me. Let God satisfy your heart today. He's for you, friends. He wants you to be free, but your freedom is found not in this world, but in him. God, I pray for every heart here. Lord, as we sing this song, that we would do business with you that we would receive the freedom that you want to give us, that you would loosen the shackles of this world, that we might have greater life and joy and peace and contentment and purpose in you. Lord, if there's anyone here today that doesn't know you, I pray that they would know today that you love them and you gave your son for them, that they might have life and that they would surrender to you.